Okay, so let's get into it. First one up, talking about possible murder plot against Trump. Fair use. People do desperate things. And Second. to be thrown out of office, well, guess what? Uh, we should all be very concerned about what comes next because the liberal media appears to be falling in line with the Biden messaging. And all of the major newspapers published simultaneous stories warning that a Trump presidency would be a dictatorship. It's like they're all handed a big pile of the same talking points by the deep state, by the intelligence community. And then they all run with them and they all publish these stories. And it's all timing is unbelievable. Here's the New York Times version of it. Why a second Trump presidency may be more radical than his first. Donald Trump has long exhibited authoritarian impulses, but his policy operation is now more sophisticated and the buffers to check him are weaker. Really? His operation is now more sophisticated? Okay. Uh, here's the Atlantic magazine. The Atlantic simultaneously published this, a warning. And they show an ominous police officer at the Capitol building uh, pointing back to Capitol Hill protesters that were coming in. So they're pointing, you know, the imagery there is stark. And it says, America survived the first Trump term, though not without sustaining serious damage. A second term, if there is one, will be much worse. So America suffered serious damage as a result of the Trump presidency. We're doing fine right now. Can you imagine how America would be in pain and imperiled? If uh, Trump became president again, that would be oh, serious yes. problems. This is fine. This is we're just we're fine right now. The millions of people pouring across our southern border. We're totally fine right now. Um, but here's the one, though. Here's the major news publication that pushed people over the edge. And it was the Washington Post, their opinion page. And here you see Matt Gates tweeting this at the top. But here's the headline from the Washington Post. A Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. And the article basically goes on to call him a dictator and says they open and it basically opens up a, a a door for nut jobs to target trump so matt gates at the top there tweeting uh, they're obviously green lighting assassination congressman matt gates writes you're basically saying hey trump could turn into hitler so we're putting out the warning to anybody who's reading this right now wants to know this is what america could be facing America is facing a lot now with Biden. So they're not going to care. Also, there's also these. Um, this has been in the works for a while now. I mean, taking out Trump. OK, people don't like to look at the uh, Illuminati cards. Um, they came out a couple of years ago. And every every one of those cards has come true. All right. What they plan to do. Um, telling you in your face. And there's a card that says, with Trump's face on it, enough is enough. I don't want nothing bad to happen to Trump because if something bad happens to Trump, we're, we're going to deal with a lot of problems. There's going to be problems if something happens to Trump. Something like that, it could start, you know, 
riots. Because you got a lot of crazy MAGA supporters who are in love with Trump. Never mind Operation Warp Speed. Never mind the many atrocities that Trump has committed. Okay. Are you, I'm not for Biden. Because to me, you're all in the same gang, making the country worse off than before. Okay. All right, so we'll just get into the article right now. All right, Matt Gates accuses me, uh, media of greenlighting Trump assassination. Washington Post editor writes, most Americans may not care about move to dictatorship if they can go about their daily business, just as many Russians and Hungarians do not care. Far-right Florida Rep Republican Matt Gates has claimed that the press is greenlighting the assassination of former President Donald Trump by reporting on what a second Trump term would look like. On Monday, Mr. Gates tweeted, there's obviously greenlighting assassination and included a screenshot from a Washington Post op-ed by Post Opinions contributing editor Robert Kagan Bearing the headline, a Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. Responding to Mr. Gates, Conda Nass legal affairs editor Luke Zaleski noted that there is nothing you can say or do to confront the MAGA gaslighting that won't be met with more MAGA gaslighting. They'll say anything to make themselves the victim and a hero in everything. And there's nothing, same thing with Biden. And there's nothing you can say to do anything about it. That is MAGA gaslighting and paradox, he added. The image of for the OPED was a split image with the top being the head of a statue of Roman dictator Julius Caesar, who was assassinated in 44 BC, and the bottom being the face of Mr. Trump. Okay. But as I said before, sorry about that. Um, What's the difference between Trump and Biden? This is just different ways of moving, and both of them feel that they're untouchable. Okay. Mr. Kagan writes that the national mood less than a the national mood less than a year before the election is one of bipartisan discuss with the political system in general. Rarely in American history has democracy's inherent messiness been more striking. 
In Weimar Germany, Hitler and the other agitators benefited from the squabbling of the Democratic parties, right, left, the endless fights over the budget, the log jams in the legislature, the fragile and fractious coalitions, he added. German voters increasingly yearned for someone to cut through it all and get something, anything done. It didn't matter who was behind the political paralysis either, whether the intrazinists came from the right or the left. The Post editor goes on to say that the likeliness outcome of Mr. Trump's many upcoming trials will be to demonstrate our judicial system's inability to contain someone like Trump and incidentally to reveal his impotence as a check should be should he become president. Okay. Indicating Trump for trying to overthrow the government will prove akin to indicating Caesar for crossing the Rubicon and just as effective. Like Caesar, Trump wields a clout that transcends the laws and institutions of government. Based on the unserving personal loyalty of his army of followers, he adds, Mr. Kagan argues that if Mr. Trump wins in 2024, he'll become the most powerful person ever to hold office with the fewest constraints of any president, fewer if in his own first term. Would he even obey a directive of the Supreme Court or would he instead ask how many armored divisions the chief justice has, he asks. Trump might not want to or need a third term, but were he to decide he wanted one, he has his miss. He has sometimes indicated, would the 22nd Amendment block him any more effectively from being president for life than the Supreme Court if he refused to be blocked, Mr. Kagan notes. Today, there is the whiff of a new Mr. McCarthyism in the air, he adds, noting that many baseless accusations of those not on Trump's side being communists. The Trump dictatorship will not be a communist tyranny where almost everyone feels the oppression and has their lives shaped by it. Well, Trump is a Zionist and we know who he backs, who he's for, okay? So don't be surprised if you just exchange one tyrant for another. Mr. Kagan goes on to say, in conservative and anti-liberal tyrannies, ordinary people face all kinds of limitations on their freedoms, but it is a problem for them only to the degree that they have that they value those freedoms. And many people do not. If most Americans can go about their daily businesses, they might not care, just as many Russians and Hungarians do not care. Mr. Gates follows on X, were quick to respond with outrage. Aaron McKentry, a columnist at the right-wing outlet, The Blaze wrote, nobody talks about it, but there were already assassination attempts on Trump. When Trump inevitably becomes the nominee, you're going to watch the very last shred of sanity break in the media. Who knows, man? Who knows? Okay. Because I'm telling you now, something happens to that man. All these fanatics in this country that are for Trump, they're going to lose their minds. Definitely are going to lose their minds. But let's talk about something else that, uh, you don't hear much about what Trump backs. Okay. 
right. Second. All right, here we are. Here we go. Or next time that somebody tells you that crime doesn't pay, they lied to you. Crime pays and it pays well. In the United States, we spend over $80 billion annually on incarcerating people. But this doesn't even include what you see on the stock market. Here are three of the top prison stocks in the U.S. Number one is Core Civic. They own over 100 prisons and correctional facilities across the United States. Their main business model is to get government contracts with states. What they promise to do is operate their prisons at a more cost-effective and efficient way than the government would have done. But here's the catch. The problem is, is that it's under the condition that these prisons operate at full capacity. And this is why I say human beings literally become a commodity to be traded on the stock market. And when President Obama was elected, he started doing away with this. But there was a big push by Trump and the Republican Party to bring private prisons back. And if we're completely honest, private prisons only make up 8% of the prisons across the United States. But it's still a large enough number to make a difference. And this doesn't even include all the privatization within the government-funded prisons. These are actual operated and ran private prisons. Companies like CCA or Corrections Corporations of America profits off the warehousing of human beings. Another problem with these private prisons is they usually get the best inmates. Low-level offenders, people that don't cause many problems. And this often leaves the government-ran facilities at the highest risk for violence. The next one is Serco. Now, Serco is based out of the UK, but it still operates in North America and across the globe. They mainly offer a bunch of services within the prison, like health, transport, immigration, defense. And Serco's not the only company that operates within prisons. You've got companies like Global Telling, you've got Securus, you've got Aramark, you've got Kifi. And companies like this usually have a monopoly on the prison system because there's no competition once they get the contract until that contract is up. And they're able to price gouge. That's how a 15 cent ramen noodle is able to go for a dollar in prison. That's how they're able to charge damn near $3 for a 15-minute phone call and $7 to watch a movie from 1996. The last one I'm going to talk about is the Geo Group, which they identify as a real estate investment company that invests in prisons and mental health properties all over the world. And again, this is another company that profits on the warehousing of human beings where human beings become the commodity. And I could literally go on for an hour of all the predatory schemes that these corporations devise to profit off the warehousing of people. Hmm. All right.
telling you, man, this is not a joke. <laughs> People want Trump back. There are many ways to make money, you know, with these private prisons, okay? And with Trump, um, hey, I'm telling you, he, he has people he has to work for. Okay. He has don't he has donors that he has to appease. People think Trump cares about you. He doesn't. He got in this gang. He has to go along with the rules. Now let's check out the Geo Group. That's in one of the uh, private prisons. A publicly traded company that owns several private prisons and immigration detention centers in the U.S. And they've been at the center of a lot of news. None of them good. For years now, there's been reports of unsafe conditions and health violations at Geo Group's detention facilities, including moldy food, overuse of solitary confinement, and dangerous delays in medical care. Hundreds of people detained there were paid $1 a day to clean, do laundry, wash dishes, and staff a barbershop and a library at the Tacoma Washington Detention Center. $1 a day. And on May 17th of this year, an eight-year-old girl died in Border Patrol custody in Texas after a nurse practitioner allegedly denied her mother's request for an ambulance. An eight-year-old girl, dead. And I have to remind you, people in ICE immigration centers are not serving time for crimes. They're being held while an immigration judge decides if they should be deported. They're just, they're not criminals. They're just in a weird limbo after being forced to run away from their homes. And for that, they're being kept in subhuman conditions. Also this year, a lawsuit was filed against Geo Group for using toxic chemicals to clean the detention centers, causing inmates to get sick and suffer from persistent cough, throat and nasal irritation, skin irritation, rashes, headaches. They even found blood in their saliva and they felt dizzy and lightheaded. And now they have to deal with long-term chronic health issues because of the exposure to the chemical. They were using a fucking pesticide, overusing a pesticide to clean. Just after taking office, Joe Biden signed an executive order facing out federal use of private prisons. But the order didn't cover immigration detention. So Geo Group still exists and is still profiting at the expense of people's lives. Like I said, they, they, they leave that little part out there because the Democrats want to benefit off of it. That, those are, that's cheap labor right there. Okay, That's cheap money for business owners to make. Corporations. They're not going to try and do what the people want. Okay, They are trying to make a buck with this private prison stuff. All right. They want their money. They're going to get it. Okay. And here's something else to know about uh, private prisons. Vanguard's a group that owns a privatization to prisons. Yeah, okay. Same same people. So yeah. they privatize the majority shareholders in these prisons. They own the prisons. Ah, fuck it. We also own the majority shares in Warner Brothers Music. Let's now get black Americans to do rap music that's gangster yeah. and make it uh, what, what, what's the word? Cultural imperialism, what yeah. that's called. Mm. Trying to insert an idea into a culture that's, you know. Uh.
nice. suits the ruling class. It's like, you know, when hip hop used to be socially conscious. Glorifies. Fuck yeah, the police yeah. and guns mm-hmm. and riches. Yeah. It's Nietzsche's all that yeah. crap. So yeah. it creates, glorified. creates more crime, glorifies the crime. And then their prisons, oh, because they their government. Sorry, yeah, speak about this at Bluntfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those prisons, then they actually get a kickback from the government only if they are at a ninety six percent occupancy. Let's put it actually make money up. from having Vanguard's a group that owns a privatization of prisons. Yeah, okay. Same, same people. So yeah. they privatize their majority shareholders in these prisons. They own the prisons. Ah, fuck it. We also own the majority shares in Warner Brothers Music. Let's now get Black Americans to do rap music that's gangster yeah. and make it. Uh, what, what, what's the word? Cultural imperialism, what yeah. that's called. Mm. Trying to insert an idea into a culture that you know, nice. suits the ruling class. It's like, you know, when hip-hop used to be socially conscious glorifies, and fuck the police and then it yeah, got yeah, glorified yeah. into the gangster culture that's and it. bling yeah. and bitches yeah. and guns mm-hmm. and riches, yeah. it's niches, all that yeah. crap. So yeah. it creates, glorified. creates more crime, glorifies the crime. And then their prisons, oh, because they their government. Sorry, yeah, speak about this with Bluntfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those prisons, then they actually get a kickback from the government only if they are at a ninety six percent occupancy. So they so actually make money up. from having people in their prisons. That's so fucked business. Okay, hey, this is what we want, right? This is what we want. We want President Trump. <laughs> this is what's happening. Okay, and those black Republicans, I wanted I want to know, do you know about this? And you're okay with this? Especially Tim Scott. Are you okay with this, Mr. Scott? America is not a racist nation, not a racist nation, but you got Trump back in private prisons that are owned by record labels and they want to push the school to prison pipeline. And what demographic is known to be in those pi- prison school to prison pipelines? Black people. Okay. So let's get into uh, one second. One, one second. One minute right here. Hold on one minute. One minute right here. Just as proof that what I'm saying is true. Here we go. 
right. One minute. Wi-Fi problems, sorry for the difficulties. Former, former President Donald Trump is getting into the private prison industry. A source close to Trump said after the recommendations from the January 6th committee were released, Trump decided he wanted to give back to the community. The former president is said to be looking at land near Palm Beach not far from Mar-a-Lago. His goal is to create an environment that will foster the needs of the prison in an effort to truly reform the prison system. Trump has been meeting with contractors and architects to get a feel for what his ideal prison would look like. Each prison cell within the building will be 15 by 20 feet, and house one person each. The prison will have the capacity to house 15 inmates, a private chef and wait staff, housekeepers, and a gardener. The prison will also have a private beach and golf course. The Department of Justice is currently exploring bringing criminal charges against the former president for his role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Share your thoughts on Trump's prison reform vision. Visit theseconkreporter.com for the full story. Check out the links in bio for our latest merch and podcast. I don't know about that, man. I'm sorry. Golf course. For one person only, each cell is for one person. It's kind of expensive. In contrast to just, you know, have the person, you know, put in with other inmates, which is a little cheaper, cheaper. That's what I'm thinking about. All right. Also, with the geo uh, private prisons, there have been a lot of bad reviews with them. Okay. People have been getting attacked. Uh, the inmates have are not getting uh, proper medical care. Staff is violent. Okay. There's a lot of issues with these private prisons that they are not telling you. Okay. But let's move on to uh, Nikki Haley, shall we? What do you want me to say about slavery? What was the cause of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run. The freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War was? I'm sorry? I'm not running for president. I, 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 I wanted to see uh, your view on the cause of the Civil War. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. 
And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all, all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a She didn't even answer the question. How are you you can't how are you trying to run for president? You can't answer a simple question about American history. Play this again. What do you want me to say about slavery? What was the cause of the of the United States Civil War? Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. What do you think the cause of the Civil War Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties, so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. Thank you. And in, in the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that you answer that question without mentioning the word slavery. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. <laughs> she couldn't read it. She had such disdain for black people. Such disdain. And Republicans are for this. Okay, they are for saying slavery, you know, was it, you know, they want to erase this part of history. Okay. She could not answer this question. She didn't have, it's not like she can't answer this question. She doesn't want to. And I bet you there's not many blacks within the Republican Party willing to challenge her about this. Why couldn't you answer this question? Why? Why couldn't you answer? Okay, the reason why for the, the cause for the Civil War, because the South wanted to keep their way of life, which was beating, raping, and selling human beings with black skin. That was the reason why they had the, they, the South was trying to depart from the Union and stay departed from the Union. Abraham Lincoln, no, he wasn't in the kindness of his heart to free the slaves. Whether the slaves whether I get the slaves 
by bringing the South back in the Union, okay. If I don't get to free the slaves, but I get the South back in the Union, it's fine by me. Okay? Either way, all he Lincoln wanted was the South back into the Union. That is it. Lincoln also said that he wanted whites to be the dominant power in society. He did not want, he did not think blacks could be equal to whites. He wanted a dominant power structure and he wanted the whites to be in power. Okay. That's what he wanted. You can look it up. He actually said those words. It's sad that people can't understand that and uh, don't want to admit to that truth, especially on the Republican side. Because they, they come at you looking at you goofy. Well, Lincoln freed the slaves. Okay. This was about business. He didn't care about the slaves. And it's cringe when black Republicans want to try and bring that up. And you have to correct them and they get very testy and upset because you're not following the program. You're making them look bad in front of their white masters. And as usual, okay, when a Republican or Democrat screws up in this regard, they really try to do damage control. Here we go. Here at home into politics now. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley on the defensive tonight for what she left out when she was asked about the causes of the Civil War. Brian Nobles has this one. Tonight, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley in Cleveland. Up mode after leaving out slavery as a root cause of the Civil War during a town hall in New Hampshire on Wednesday. What do you want me to say about slavery? No, um, uh, you've answered my question. Thank you. Next question. Haley spent Thursday attempting to explain what she meant. Of course, the Civil War was about slavery. And make clear the role slavery played in American history. We know the Civil War was about slavery. But it was also more than that. It was about the freedoms of every individual. Her opponents seized on the comments. President Joe Biden responding, quote, it was about slavery. And GOP rival Ron DeSantis arguing she isn't ready for the big stage. The minute that she faces any type of scrutiny, uh, she tends to cave. As governor of South Carolina. <laughs> Even racist Joe Biden could say that. OK, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Racist Joe Biden could say it was about slavery. Okay. But she can pull it off. All right. 
Carolina, Haley pushed for the removal of a Confederate flag on display on the Capitol grounds after a mass shooting at a black church in Charleston, carried out by a white supremacist. It's time to move the flag from the Capitol grounds. She made that decision after intense pressure by African-American leaders in the wake of the massacre. The firestorm comes as Haley is gaining ground on the clear frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. Trump has routinely used divisive rhetoric and recently made racist comments about migrants and minority groups. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. But Trump's controversial words have done little to change the trajectory of the race. And these comments come at a make-or-break moment for the Haley campaign, with polls showing Donald Trump leading by more than double digits and just 18 days to go before Iowa and less than 30 days before New Hampshire. Oh, boy. Hey, man, I, I think I got to agree with uh, that you have racist whites that just don't care. All right. They're okay with this. Like I said, I mean... I don't, I don't know what to say, man, because uh, the Republican Party has always been this way. And I'm really, really scared for African-Americans, black people in the United States, period, because they are not really waking up to what's going on. They're really not. All right, on to uh, another serious crisis right now, and that has to deal with the migrants. Let's talk about that. Okay. Melbourne, about 50 miles west of Chicago, is the latest suburb to pass an ordinance regarding migrant buses. Earlier this month, the bus showed up unannounced. The village says that incident used up all of its police resources at the time. The new ordinance requires prior approval and five days' notice. It also requires background checks for passengers over 18 and only allows one bus per operator per day. There's a $750 fine if the rules aren't followed. Mexican immigration officials have started clearing tents along the Rio Grande River. It began as U.S. officials met with Mexico's president to discuss the border crisis. They say they are working with Mexico to limit the number of people trying to come in. Today, Chicago Alderman Brian Hopkins talked about how this issue is affecting the city of Chicago. We're seeing communities uh, destabilized. Uh, we're seeing an influx of new residents who simply don't have a place to reside. Uh, the impact of the local shelters is having a, a detrimental effect on the quality of life for local residents. We're seeing crime go up, property values go down. Um, it's creating a political crisis um, as well as stress between communities, and it's simply unsustainable. 
Hopkins comments come a day after Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson and others made a joint plea for more help from the federal government. Hopkins says. Fortunately, it's going to be too little too late. That's what I see here. People are going to suffer, especially black people are going to suffer in this situation. When it comes to jobs, when it comes to crime, especially when it comes to crime, because they haven't been checking, doing background checks ever since this was going on. So doing it now is just late in the game. They probably have enough people to do the damage they want. All right. You had a you already had a legal immigrant that was living in Chicago for 26 years. And with her help. Chicago became a sanctuary, a sanctuary city. Okay. And is staying one. All right. So what's, what's the point now? What is the point? Blacks are going to have to stock up on food, water, and protection because these illegals coming over here, they don't care for black people. They come with gangs too. They don't care for black people. Things are going to get real in this country, especially in these blue states. But now we're going into international news. And let's talk about Kim Jong-un. It's another nation constantly on the brink, North Korea, where Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un has issued a diktat. He has asked the country to, quote-unquote, accelerate war preparations. Again, the announcement came during North Korea's annual review. The Hermit Kingdom's leadership is looking back on all the work done in the past year. They're holding meetings to plan next year's budget and agenda. And this meeting is where Kim issued the war readiness order. He says the preparation is necessary because, and I'm quoting, because of unprecedented confrontational moves by the U.S. So he's citing American provocation for this military buildup. Here's our report. It's a busy week in Pyongyang for the North Korean government. Senior leaders are pulling up in their Mercedes-Benz limousines. The cause are technically banned in North Korea because of sanctions imposed on luxury goods, but it seems they're easily available to the top North Korean officials. All the senior Workers' Party of Korea leaders are gathering in the capital for a year-end review. Every year, there's a plenary meeting of the party's central committee. This year is no different. The senior leadership has gathered to present their reports and, of course, praise the visionary policies of their supreme leader, Kim Jong-un.
Look at their reactions when the man of the moment arrived. The excitement and the devotion. Kim had to wave to them and tell them to settle down. Like a rock star asking the audience to be quiet. That is pretty scary when you can get the whole country to be forced to love you, forced to get haircuts, for, to get to look like yours, forced to put pictures of yourself in every home and to worship you like a god. That is scary. Extremely scary. And this is what we're seeing here. And let the show begin. And much like a famed rock star, Kim was sure to play his greatest hits. He issued the diktat they'd all come to hear. Accelerate war preparations. Yes, like every year, Kim made sure to call for more military readiness. And the crowd went wild. Another standing ovation. There was non-stop cheering in the bright red party hall and also over at North Korean state media stations. Kim had given the word. North Korea would fight back. Against whom? The US, apparently. And by extension, American allies in the Far East. Kim's war preparation order was issued to three entities. The North Korean military, the country's military-industrial complex, and, of course, the nuclear weapons sector. Pyongyang has been making big strides on that third front. Last week, the country had test-launched a new intercontinental ballistic missile, the Hwasong-18. The nuclear-capable missile can reach any corner of the U.S. That's what Japan and South Korea are saying. The two American allies have been quite worried since last week's launch. South Korea has even begun military drills, just in case Pyongyang decides to go for a surprise attack. Kim Jong-un didn't seem too concerned about his southern neighbor yesterday. His eye is on the big prize. The overbearing Uncle Sam. Kim plans to work with like-minded allies to counter Washington. He said he would expect strategic cooperation with anti-imperialist independent countries. Most likely, that means Russia. Kim met with Russian President Vladimir Putin earlier this year. He's been accused of selling weapons to Moscow for use in the Ukraine war. So expanding that relationship is a logical next step. According to reports, that will also help with North Korea's luxury car smuggling. Clearly something that's important to the ruling party. Kim's cheering officials do seem to like their Mercedes Maybachs. Maybe those were discussed during the meeting as well? It was, after all, about Pyongyang's plans for 2024. North Korean media just shared a jingoistic snippet of the whole affair. More policies were certainly announced, but we'll have to wait for a few more days for those details. The Hermit Kingdom usually televises Kim's grand speech every New Year's Day. This little speech was just a teaser. There's a lot more to come. There's a lot to think about here, about how 
our country's government is basically sending us to war in different places. The military, I mean. And when Korea attacks, will there be enough law enforcement and military manpower to fight back? Okay. Will there be enough? Question. All right. And there's also the fact of, you know, cyber attacks. All right. Also, we have to also look into the fact is that we had a bomb shelter commercial. Remember that? I think a year or two ago about the bomb, about the bomb shelter commercial that was on the news, how to handle that in New York City, where to go. They have special signs and where to go to these bomb shelters. Like I said, something to think about. There's a lot of things that they're not telling us that we should prepare for. Now let's talk about this uh, madness at Tesla. Let's, let's talk about that. And the latest in AI horror from the real world, a robot attacked a Tesla engineer during a brutal malfunction. According to a 2021 injury report by Tesla, the shocking incident took place at Tesla's Texas factory. The 2021 report said that witnesses saw the robot pin the engineer working on nearby robots. A malfunction led the robot to sink its metal claws into the worker's back and arm, leaving a trail of blood across the factory floor. The details were revealed in Tesla's 2021 annual compliance report to the Travis County and federal regulators. The injury report revealed an open wound on the, injuries, on the engineer's left hand. The report revealed that Tesla gave zero days off to the injured worker for recovery. Such incidents raised concerns. Wow. This man was injured in his back and arm and you did not hmm wow just remember you know elon is trying to bring back company towns remember that he's trying he's working in texas right now to build company towns this is the type of man that you have running tesla this work is gravely injured and you're not giving them a day off Concerns about the risk of using automated robots in the workplace. Incidents like injuries at Amazon centers due to robotic co-worker problems with killer droid surgeons 
and even violence from robotic chess instructors have ignited discussions about the swift integration of the new technology. That is insane. Get into this article right here. On a minute. Tesla factory worker attacked by a robot that dug its claws into the back and arm report. Tesla software engineer suffered serious injuries when he was attacked by a malfunctioning robot on the floor of the electric car makers factory in Austin, Texas. Witnesses told them the information last month that the robot, which was designed to move aluminum car parts, pinned the engineer and sank his metal claws into his back and arm, leaving a trail of blood along the floor. The engineer was programming software that controls robots whose job is to cut car parts from freshly cast pieces of aluminum. While the two Two of the robots were disabled so the engineer and his crew could work on the machines. A third was inadvertently left on, resulting in the attack two years ago, witnesses told the, inform told the information. The news site said it obtained an injury report that was submitted to federal officials as well as to health authorities in Travis County. The engineer suffered a laceration and cut or open wound on his left hand, according to information. The injury was apparently not severe enough to require an employee to take time off from work. Telsa declined to comment. Injury reports submitted to the U.S. Occupancy Staff and Health Administration alleged that nearly one out of every 21 workers at the Giga Texas factory got hurt last year. In the automotive industry, the median injury rate last year was one in every 30 workers. Several current and former Tesla workers employed at the factory told the information that the company regularly cut corners on construction, maintenance, and operations in, in a manner that placed them at risk. Lawsuit time. Sources told the information that management's demands for speedy, speedy production have left to safety lapses. Witnesses reported that heavy machinery, including a crane, steel beam, and an air conditioning duct have fallen near workers on car production lines. Records Reviewed by the information found that workers at the factory fell ill after they were exposed to toxins such as pneumonia. In the summer last year, an employee's ankle was caught under a moving cart, forcing them to miss more than four months of work. Days later, another worker was struck in the head by a metal object, forcing them to miss 85 days of work, according to the information. Telstra employees at the factory said they witnessed forklifts collide with workers on assembly floor. On or around the New Year's 2023, water was accidentally submerged into molten aluminum used in casting area that produced the underbody of Tesla's Model Y, resulting in an explosion that witnesses reported sounded like a sonic boom, according to the information. The explosion sent a ball of fire and then smoke into the air and caused employees to run off in terror, according to the report. However, it is unknown how many people were injured since that information is not included in documents submitted to safety inspectors in Texas, the information reported. Telsa CEO Elon Musk's company began construction 
on the factory in the summer of 2020 after the mogul was outraged by California regulators who limited business operations due to the spread of the coronavirus. In late 2021, Tesla was officially relocated at headquarters from Palo Alto, California to Austin, Texas. Musk has stated that he claims for that he aims for the 10 million square foot facility to help produce 20 million cars annually by 2030. Construction at the Texas facility is ongoing. By the time work is finished, Tesla aims to employ 60,000 people there. Tesla has said it expects to spend up to 10 billion to complete the construction of the plant. Sounds like a fun place to work, right? Fun place. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Not, not many people are looking into Elon Musk and seeing things about him that, you know, are, uh, you know, not really kosher. That's that's what I would say. It's, it's not really kosher about Elon. Okay. But uh, let's get into the... Uh, Story on Israel now. Let's get into that. Escalate tensions in the Red Sea. Israel's ongoing military operations in Gaza continue to witness a pushback by Yemen's Houthis on the maritime front. And this time, the onslaught went on for 10 long hours. The latest Red Sea standoff, U.S. says that its fleet in the West Asian region shot down 12 attack drones and five missiles launched by the Houthi rebels. The American Central Command says the strikes did not cause any injuries or damage to the ships in the area. But the 10-hour-long assault by the Houthis once again shows how potent the threat is. The Iran-backed group also amped up its attacks on other fronts, targeting Israel's port city of Eilat. Listen to what representatives of both sides had to say. The Air Force and the Yemeni Armed Forces carried out a military operation with a number of drones against military posts in the Umal Rashrash and other areas in occupied Palestine. An IDF fighter jet successfully intercepted today a hostile aerial target over the Red Sea on its way to Israel. The target to Israel. The Houthis firing towards Israel is an act of terrorism. It is an act executed with Iranian guidance, with Iranian intelligence and munitions. The Houthi attacks do not end here. On Tuesday, they also targeted another commercial vessel, the MSC United, as it passed through the key trade passage. Rebel leaders say that the ship crew did not respond to multiple warning calls. For weeks now, Yemen's Houthi rebels have launched attacks after attacks on what it says are Israeli-affiliated vessels that are accused of carrying fuel and military equipment for Israel. Yemen's proximity and stronghold over the key Bab al-Mandab Strait in the Red Sea has made it difficult for ships and tankers
to pass through safely. The attacks have disrupted global trade flows, with shipping firms and oil companies saying they would avoid the route. Even after U.S. announced a multinational naval task force, the Houthis have only ramped up their attacks in the region. U.S. says that in the past month alone, the rebel group has launched over 100 attacks and 14 commercial vessels have already been targeted so far. For the Houthis, there is one non-negotiable ask. The attacks in the Red Sea will halt when Israel's military aggression in Gaza comes to an end. But as each day passes, the threat of a greater war spillover continues to loom over the crucial Red Sea corridor. Dr. Gilbert Doctorow is an international affairs analyst, an author, and also a historian. He's now joining us live from Brussels. Dr. Gilbert, thank you for making time for us and welcome. Yes, thank you for inviting me. I regret that I am uh, unable to spend more than a couple of minutes with you. Okay, I will make it short. Doctor, do you think uh, the US-led Red Sea Force has calmed shippers amid Houthi attacks? No, it hasn't, and there's good reason why it hasn't. The um, shippers don't look at what the U.S. military is doing. They look at what their insurers are doing. The area is in a state of war, and in a state of war, uh, shipping insurance becomes extremely expensive, prohibitively expensive. Therefore, this effort by the United States is just grandstanding uh, just like the display of the aircraft carriers is grandstanding, but has very little practical effect. If things get bad, the aircraft carriers can be sunk. If things get bad, uh, a lot of the U.S. presence will be pointless. Therefore, the situation is quite serious, quite aggravated in the Red Sea. And with that, I will close out my statement. All right, Doctor. Pretty much, because this is going to be stopping a lot of cargo fleets with resources for the U.S. Okay, businesses are going to be halted. So this is going to affect the U.S. People better start caring about this. Put pressure right to your congressman to put pressure. To get the United States to pressure Israel like that, well, eh, wishful thinking. You could try still to get them to stop. See if that works. And I, I don't have a problem with what the Houthi rebels are doing. All right. I do not have a problem. Stop the attacks on the Palestinians in Gaza, and they'll stop fighting. They'll stop fighting the, uh, the Israelis. Let's look into another. news article on this. All right.
No, actually, we're going to talk more about uh, what Netanyahu wants to do right now. Let's talk about what he wants to do. You won't believe this. Hold on a second. I'll get to you in a minute, Larry. Give me a minute. Yeah. Liberal politicians don't panic to a beast and meth addicted rural Americans for votes. Christian nationalists stand with Israel. See, that's my problem with Christian nationalism. It's uh <laughs> it's contradictory to their religion. Oh boy. Yeah. And it's just nationalism. I mean, what America wasn't um, <sighs> It kills me when 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 uh, when Christians act a fool like this. America is Christian in name only. All right, America has enslaved, beat, raped, poisoned their way into dominance. Okay, that is how America was born. Okay, the America we have now was through tyranny, slavery, rape, racism. All right. That's how America was built. Israel is an oppressive, racist, and basically a, a haven, a sanctuary city for child abusers. And it's also very racist. They have into the Talmud, which allows them, it says that if you don't like and don't like somebody, you harm them unknowingly. And they did that. There was an article in uh, 2020, 2020 or 2022 about how it came out that the Israeli government was sterilizing uh, black Jewish women without their consent. Okay. That is, that is, that's Israel. Okay. I mean, now they've had a, they've had discussions. You can look these videos up online um, about uh, how now the Israeli government is trying to say, we cannot, we can no longer be tolerating our country being a sanctuary city, a sanctuary, a place of sanctuary for child abusers. Rabbis who abuse, and even in Israel, rabbis who abuse uh, kids, they go from one, one synagogue to another, very much like the Catholic Church. All right? Very much so. But always know when they say about Christian nationalism, it's basically white power. Okay? Because understand, who was demographic that used minorities, enslaved them? They enslaved blacks to build this country. They enslaved blacks to build the White House. Okay? 
who was the demographic that used Manifest Destiny, okay, to slaughter the, the Native American and take their lands and push them on reservations? What demographic? It was white people. Racist white people. Okay. And guess what else? Uh, Trump stands with Israel. So you're not, you, you get Trump in office, Trump is not going to do, uh, Trump's not going to save America, right? America is pretty much owned by, um, they're, they're owned by Israel. The Israeli government, that is, because I, I don't want to paint a broad brush of Israel because there are uh there are um, Israelis, Jews that are pretty much against Netanyahu and his corrupt regime, okay? And the corrupt Israeli government, very much they're against that, okay? But uh, let's get into uh, what uh, Netanyahu has to say. It's, this is very much like the Russian-Ukraine war, and they want Western nations to... Remember how they wanted Western nations to... Um, open their borders to Ukrainian refugees. And what happened with those Ukrainian refugees? They started tearing up the place, tearing up Western nations. Then Yadu says, Western nations must take in millions of Palestinian refugees. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has demanded that Western countries take in millions of Palestinian refugees who are fleeing Gaza. Our problem is countries that are ready to absorb them and we are working on it, Netanyahu said during a meeting of his Lukid party on Monday. The world is already discussing the possibilities of voluntary immigration, Netanyahu said, adding that, that, it, that a team must be established to ensure that those who want to leave Gaza to a third country can do so. It needs to be settled. It has strategic importance for the day, for the day after the war, he, he added. Infowars reports, this comes days after Israel's neighbor, Egypt, rebuffed Netanyahu's effort to ethnically cleanse Gaza by punishing Palestinians, I'm sorry, by pushing Palestinians into its territory. Egypt claimed that as the IDF operations expands, Israel would push Palestinians from Gaza to Egypt and not allow them to return after the war, Axios reported. Weeks after the Hamas attack, now remember now, Israel created Hamas. Remember that. So sending them, those Palestinians, over to Western countries, and you don't know, and not every Palestinian is a good Palestinian. Just saying that. Not all of them are coming over there and they want to do good by the new country they're in. Some of them are Hamas terrorists. We already have, the CIA, the CIA has already said that we have sleeper cells in this country. Terrorists, Sleeper cells. And they're unaccounted for. So imagine when you have Palestinian refugees coming to the U.S., coming to Germany, coming to Britain, coming to the U.K., coming to Holland, coming to Switzerland. Hmm. You see where I'm going with this. 
Weeks after the Hamas attack on Israel, an Israeli intelligence concept paper was leaked, which outlined a plan to displace millions of Palestinians from Gaza to, into Egypt and Jordan. The document proposes moving Gaza's civilian population to 10 cities in northern Sinai, then building permanent cities and an undefined humanitarian corridor, the Associated Press reported. Security zone would be established inside Israel to block the displaced Palestinians from entering. The report did not say what would become of Gaza once its population is cleared out. Once the population is cleared out, they can start digging, drilling for that oil that is under the Gaza Strip. That's what this war is really about. That's why they're fighting so hard to push them out. This is just another leg of the globalist replace, great replacement migration plan to flood the West with populations that are incompatible with its values. You're going to see a lot of war and strife. A lot of immigrants are going to be taking jobs that minor skill workers want, need. Okay. And blacks better start caring about this. All right. You better start caring about this because you think there's racism now with uh, the Hispanics coming over here. But the migrants, you're going to have a lot of racism with the Palestinians. Okay. Because guess what? Both the both Israel and Palestine do not like black people. They treat their black Palestinians very poorly. And that type of racism is coming over to the U.S. All right. Even in their religion. Okay. Muhammad did not like blacks. He owned and sold black slaves. Called them raisin heads. Even in Palestine, they have a type of candy where it's called raisin heads. All right. Don't believe me? Do some research on looking up about uh, Palestine. <clears throat> All right. But let's talk about what's going on in uh, Ukraine right now. What what happened a few weeks ago? A few weeks ago, eh, a couple of days ago, I'll say. A couple of days ago, I'll say that. Hello, Namaskar. This is First Post and you're watching Vantage with me, Palki Sharma. Our lead story tonight is about the economy, the global economy. It faces three major challenges and another cold war could mean losses worth trillions of dollars. We'll tell you what the projection and the analysis is. Meanwhile, in Europe, Viktor Orban pulled off a stunt. He's the leader of Hungary, blocking more aid to Ukraine and its EU membership. He is holding Brussels hostage and walking away with billions. We'll bring you all the drama. Also discussing the decline of Hong Kong. From one of the top financial hubs of the world to the only major market in the red, how China's policies are killing Hong Kong. Is Britain bankrolling Russia's war? Energy giant Gazprom is making millions from British territory, leading to an uproar in London. Can the US have a Hindu president? Vivek Ramaswamy was asked this question. His answer is winning him praises. We'll tell you what he said. 
In Africa, former French colonies are changing the French language. We'll tell you how. In India, the debate over menstrual leave after a question was raised in Parliament. We'll bring you all of these stories and more. The headlines first. Shocking video from Ukraine. A councillor detonates grenades during a meet, injuring more than 25 people. It is not clear yet how many grenades were detonated or what was the motive for the attack. Wow. That is crazy. That is, that's insane. All right. They just come, dude just comes in there and just starts blowing up. Just start, just injures 25 people. He was probably a veteran of the Ukraine war. More than 100 people injured in Russia are met. And that is that. The thing is, though, and Zelensky still wants to come and beg the U.S. government for more money. He still wants to do that. And the U.S. can't say no. They want to try and ride this war into the ground, and you have millions of Ukrainians dead. There's nothing left, really, of Ukraine. Okay? Nothing really left. And you want to send more money. We have problems here. In America, we have a homeless epidemic happening. We have jobs being just disappearing. We have people tired of their businesses being looted by thieves, so they take their business elsewhere. Yet we want to give money to a neo-Nazi sex, child sex trafficking country like Ukraine. I mean, Prince Andrew has also been caught abusing kids in a restaurant in Kiev in Ukraine. But unfortunately, nobody's really talking about that. Speaking of trafficking, though, let's talk about... Uh, Something really uh, interesting here. On second, we're going to be talking about this particular story. One minute.
Gates investigator and filmmaker who was responsible for exposing the elite's pedophile network to millions of people has been found dead just months after she proclaimed she would never commit suicide. Janet Ozebard, an award-winning Dutch journalist, together with Cynthia Cota, a former police detective, dedicated their lives to unmasking the satanic elite, who they revealed to be pulling the strings of the world's governments and global corporations. As the globalist elite became increasingly desperate to cover up their crimes, it appears Ozebard the fall of the cabal. Her unexpected death, reportedly by suicide, has left a void in the alternative media landscape where she was known for her relentless pursuit of the hidden hands controlling the global control agenda. Ozabod's documentaries expose crimes so depraved that normal human beings find them impossible to fully comprehend. Yet, these crimes are the normal day-to-day -day practice for the global elite overlords, who are secretly waging war against humanity for their own enrichment. The secrecy put upon them is hard to deal with. All of this results in great trauma. Why then would a society push pedophilia down our throats, bit by bit, step by step, normalizing it so that we grow to the idea instead of reject it? Why create a society of traumatized people? Why are pedophile logos used in children cartoons? Disney movies, candy and ice cream, child protection centers, adoption agencies, in business and in politics, media. Sheila Jackson Lee, member of the House of Representatives, proudly wearing her young boy lover ring. What is going on here? Let's follow a lead. Check this out. This still image appears in a video clip of a band called Sex Stains, and this is where it gets interesting. They played at Comet Ping Pong, a restaurant in Washington, D.C., best known for its pizzas ping-pong tables in the basement, high-profile clients such as Hillary Clinton and the Obamas, 
and a conspiracy theory called Pizzagate. More about which in a bit. The circumstances surrounding Janet Ozabod's death are shrouded in heartbreak and mystery. Her disappearance, which was accompanied by a suicidal message which her friends say could not have been real, has led to speculation and rumours. Some have suggested that Ozabod may have been placed under witness protection, while others are convinced that she became the victim of those she sought to expose. The familiar with the Clinton kill list would understand that she would not be the first. These speculations reflect the powerful nature of her work and its important impact on millions of people who became red-pilled after watching her documentaries. The global elite are desperately seeking to silence those who successfully speak out against them. After this quick break, we will reveal why they turn into World War III. Many Americans are now extremely anxious about protecting what's left of their money, exposing the elite. Her work was so powerful and influential that, together with other brave truth-tellers, she created a mass movement that is now sweeping the globe. Millions upon millions of people are now demanding justice, and the crimes of the mainstream media are being exposed. Despite the mainstream media claiming that Pizzagate is nothing more than a debunked conspiracy theory, numerous mainstream journalists and fact-checkers connected to elite paedophiles have been arrested in recent times for the very crime they supposedly debunked. It turns out Janet Ozabad was right. The mainstream media are in cahoots with the globalist elite, working to cover up their most vile crimes. In November, a mainstream journalist and close friend of John Podesta, who bragged about debunking Pizzagate, was arrested on a slew of sickening child sex charges. Slade Somer, editor-in-chief at The Recount and friend of former Hillary Clinton campaign chair John Podesta, was arrested for raping multiple toddlers and babies. But it gets even worse. Soma was not the first mainstream journalist arrested on child sex charges after previously doing the devil's work and debunking Pizzagate on social media. James Gordon Meek, a 10-year veteran reporter at ABC News, who also bragged about debunking Pizzagate, is now facing life in prison after being convicted of a sickening array of child sex crimes. In case anybody thinks these cases are just a coincidence, this rabbit hole goes much deeper. CNN producer John Griffin, who produced numerous segments debunking Pizzagate for Chris Cuomo's once popular show, was sentenced to 19 years in prison in June for a slew of sickening child sex crimes in Vermont. Can the mainstream media still claim that Pizzagate is debunked, when those who are doing the debunking are now behind bars for the very conspiracy they claim didn't exist? But it's not just the reporters and producers, it's the executives too. The newspaper that led the way in covering up the Pizzagate scandal was run by the man who also helped a notorious paedophile Jimmy Savile. Mark Thompson, who was the New York Times CEO at the time, was previously Director General at the BBC, at the time that the UK's most prolific paedophile Jimmy Savile raped hundreds of children and murdered countless others while working for the BBC. 